You know, there's nothing greater in life for me than a bagel. And we can talk about where to get the best bagels in L.A. My own personal favorite is Western bagel. But it's what you put on the bagel. And for me, there's a magic to the cream cheese. Yeah, you can buy all kinds of cream cheese in the store. And you can buy the cream cheese maybe at the bagel place. But there's a science to cream cheese. I don't know exactly what's in it. I'm the kind of guy I'm not really a big fan of just eating cheese, like hard cheese, a chunk of Swiss cheese or cheddar cheese. For whatever reason, I love it when you melt the cheese on pizza, on cheeseburgers. Then I can't get enough of the cheese when it becomes soft because it's melted. Well, cream cheese is soft without it being melted. So I have always loved putting cream cheese on my bagel. But since I'm such a connoisseur of cream cheese and what to put on the bagel, my mouth is watering already. You got to ask yourself, where is the best cream cheese, the creamiest, the tastiest, the best to put on a fresh, warm bagel or one that you toast? And I'm going to tell you where you can get in Los Angeles the best cream cheese. It's not cheap. I think it's like $8 for a little pint. But that bagel of yours will taste like the greatest bagel you ever had because of the cream cheese. My favorite place to get a bagel, and you can still get it, they're open, is Western Bagel. But in their refrigerator, when you buy that dozen bagels, you'll turn and you'll see their homemade cream cheese. And there is something special about Western Bagel's homemade cream cheese. I don't care what they charge, I would pay twice as much. Because when you put that on that bagel, it becomes a whole different animal. It's creamy, it's rich, it's almost like melted cheese, except it's right out of the refrigerator. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. We're listening to Bill Withers, who just recently passed away. Hit after hit after hit. A man who did it his own way. The great Bill Withers. Joining me now, I'm so excited to talk to him, the great Dr. Nathaniel Johnson. Nate, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Oh, my pleasure. So, I took inspiration from your article, and I'm so glad to be able to talk to you about where in other areas can you be in tune with the wildlife that's around us. And I hope you appreciate the lion sleeps tonight and Willie Shoemaker. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) So I want to know, and all the listeners want to know, who are you? Where did you grow up? What did your father do for a living? What school did you go to? And how did this journey begin leading to you being a naturalist? All right. The whole life story. Well, um, I, I was born here in Berkeley, California. My parents were, were hippies that met in Berkeley in the 60s, <laughs> if you do. And, uh, and when I got to be about three years old, my dad noticed I was falling down on the sidewalk and skinning my knees. And he thought, you know, we're, this is, we got to get back to the garden. We got to get back to nature because the, you know, this is technology injuring my little boy here. So. <laughs> So we moved up to uh, Nevada City, up about 
halfway between Sacramento and, and Tahoe in, mm-hmm. in the California foothills. And, uh, and that was a, that was a lovely place to grow up, this old gold mining town in the forest and wow. running around the woods and, and, you know, playing with the banana slugs and the, the newts and the, uh, climbing trees and that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, and so I really, I really developed a love of, of nature there. And, you know, just reading these books about, you know, like, uh, sign of the beaver, you know, you, you, you read mm-hmm. these books about kids, uh, living in harmony with nature. And you think, gosh, as, as a kid, that's wonderfully romantic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so I, so I, I learned all about the, the trees in my neighborhood and the, the different animals that I'd come into contact with. But then, you know, as you get, as you get older, you sort of, you get busy, you have to earn a living, you sort of forget about these things. And, uh, it wasn't until I sort of, I sort of lost touch with the wildlife around me until I had a kid of my own. Mm -hmm. And so I, my daughter was, when she was about one years old, she was doing this thing. And I think parents around the world will, will probably recognize this where, where, you're trying to get somewhere and your kid is, is, has found something disgusting in the, in the gutter and they're like, <laughs> give me a break. Come on. We gotta, we gotta get home. <laughs> but then I actually, I, you know, I, I go and look and she invariably, she'd have found something interesting. She'd found some mm-hmm. crazy spider or, uh, or a snail that was, you know, chewing down this, you know, big leaf. And you could see that the teeth marks, you, if you look closely, you don't realize mm-hmm. snails have teeth. Um, and I thought, oh, wait a second. You know, I used to be really into this. And am I going to bring up my daughter just to be, you know, I'm telling her, forget about this. We got to get, we got to get to the next thing. You know, this isn't worth paying attention to. I, re- I didn't want to do that. I, I really wanted to be able to teach her that same wonder and awe that I had had. Um, even though we were living in the city, we were living in San Francisco at the time. And, uh, and so I started, I started trying to do my research and, and figure out what are all the non-human neighbors that are around us that, uh, that we, I've sort of blinded myself to as I've had a little less time to, to concentrate on them. Mm. Oh, you know, it's, it's what a great story. I took my grandson recently to UCLA to their botanical garden yeah. and it's amazing to point out the different trees and bushes, but God bless UCLA because next to the plaque that tells you the name of the bush or the tree, for example, ginkgo biloba tells you all the medicinal effects of that tree that you're looking at, which is beautiful. So the connection and being aware of what nature can teach us goes beyond just listening to the bird tweet and it, it goes deeper than that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, and ginkgo is, is very important, especially in, in, in Chinese medicine. Um, and it's been investigated, you know, there's some, uh, some connections, there's some indications that there may be some usefulness in, you know, the Western medicine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a fascinating one um, for several reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, you know, if you walk around, that's a street tree. Um, and if you walk around during the fall, ginkgos are, are one of these trees that has males and females. And really? 
<laughs> yeah. So the females, and they tend not to plant the females because the females produce this fruit that around September or October, if you're walking under one, you'll know it because all of a sudden it'll smell terrible. It just, it smells awful. Um, and it's, it sort of has this crinkled, yellowish, uh, decaying looking quality that, um, that must have been to attract some kind of animal that, that's long extinct now that, you know, would eat this and, and carry the seed off to some other place. Hmm. In China, they take, you know, they, they go and they gather these up, they clean off the sort of disgusting outer fruit, and they, they uh, roast the seeds inside, and they produce these sort of, um, they're, they're almost like gnocchi. Uh, it's hmm. this kind of, yeah, it's this kind of soft, um, very mellow tasting seed that, that then is used in all kinds of Chinese cooking. And of course, Chinese cooking is just bound up a hundred percent with Chinese medicine. So hmm. you, know, you, you, you have the right meal to address the issue, um, with whatever, whatever you're experiencing. Wow. Yeah. So that's, I mean, and that I, I don't know, I can, I can tell you the, the other reason I really love ginkgo trees, if, if you like. I do. Yeah. So um, the, the fascinating thing to me about ginkgo trees, I mentioned that these, they produce these fruits for probably some kind of animal that was like a squirrel, but is now extinct. And extinct is the key word there because these are really living fossils. These are a, a yeah. tree that comes out of deep, deep time. So ginkgo trees used to be this part of this huge ginkgo phyte family. Uh, yeah. It's somewhere they evolved right after ferns. They're really more like ferns than, than other flowering plants. And they used to be all over the world. You see, because they have the, those tough leaves, you can really see them in fossils all over the world. But then as, yeah. the, as the climate changed and it cooled and it warmed and the dinosaurs died off, so did the ginkgo trees. And they died out of North north america and they died out of europe um and they at last were left in just one little valley in china hmm. and uh and that was going to be the end of them you know all their relatives died completely they were left all alone if, it, if we were as as alone as the ginkgo trees all of our you know all of the mammals would have been dead all the monkeys all the birds the closest living relative that we'd have left would be something like a starfish. You know, just everything. Wow. There are these survivors out of deep time. And then the climate changed a little bit. They were able to hang on, and people came along. And they found these trees, and they thought, this, this is a cool tree. And, and it just so happens that they grow really well in cities. They grow in these tough situations where there's not a ton of light, and there's pollution, and they're between the sidewalks, and people are spitting on them and throwing gum down. But they thrive. <laughs> <laughs> and so out of all these environments that they were dying off and here comes this strange environment of the city where they're able to flourish and they people found them and they brought them back to the Netherlands and then they brought them to botanical gardens in the US and they spread across the world. And now they're in almost every city. So every time I see one of those, I think, gosh, here's this thing that's connected to to the dinosaurs. And I made wow. on it. You're amazing, Nate. Listen, can you hang on a second? Because I want to talk about what drew me to you to begin with, which is opening my back door and walking into my backyard and what the birds are saying now that spring is here. Can you hang on a second? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're talking to the great Nate Johnson, a naturalist about the world that's right next to us, 
that we need him to open our eyes and our ears. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Ain't no sunshine when she... Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. The great Bill Withers. May he rest in peace. I'm joined by the great Nate Johnson from Berkeley, California. Nate, what a pleasure to talk to you. Your passion. You know what they say, you want to have a happy life? Find the gift God gave you and share it with the world. You've got the gift and you're sharing it with us. And I really, we all appreciate you making time to be with us. I want to ask you a question. I walk out my backyard and I hear the birds because it's April. It's spring. Whether it's a sparrow, a warbler, a robin, a blue jay, a dove. What are the birds saying to each other? Can you tell by the song, by the sound they're making, the species? Do you still have to look? Take us through the right way we should walk into our backyard and observe and listen. Yeah, you can, uh, you can tell a lot about what's going on. They're, they're all talking to each other and they're talking to other species as well. So there's, there's this real, uh, it's, it's like the cable news going on. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> the chatter of all, all the, all the frequencies of radio and, and, and TV that the humans are, are spitting back and forth. The, the birds are doing the same thing. They're, they're, they're warning each other about predators. They're, uh, they're biting. They're, uh, they're looking for mates. And, and if you know how to tune into that, uh, you can hear the news too. Um, mm. so it's, it's pretty cool. There's, so I think the right way to, to go about doing this is first of all, Except that, uh, that this is, this is one of the harder things about, uh, about being a naturalist. It's not, it's, it's kind of easy to go out and look at trees and, and appreciate them. But you, you go and you listen to birds, uh, it's, it's just this mishmash of, uh, especially in the springtime. There's, you know, you go out in the morning, mm-hmm. there's just a million different things going on. Um, and I still have, have a lot of trouble, uh, distinguishing the different species. By their calls, uh, so so it's difficult. But if you just spend a little time listening, it's it's mm-hmm. often amazing what is there right in front of you if you can just slow down enough to hear. And you don't have to know exactly what species this is mm-hmm. or exactly what it's saying. You can kind of tell by the the urgency of the call. If something is, is, is mm. very loud and, and, uh, and fierce, you, it's obvious that a fight is going on. You know, I, I hmm. compare it to if, if you've ever heard opera, you don't have to know Italian to tell it if it, this is a love song or if the, if people are angry at each other. If, and if you have your eyes open, you'll see, you'll see birds, uh, squabbling and fighting. And then you'll start to hear these little short, Everything will go quiet, and you'll hear these little beep, beep, these little alarm calls, uh, where they're telling each other, "Look out! There's a there's a cat coming." Or look out! <laughs> uh, I just saw a, a, a red-tailed hawk fly over, and mm-hmm. um, and you'll you'll probably also hear this when you first go out. Everything, you know, you'll still hear birdsong from farther away, but you'll notice that after if you sit there quietly for a moment, all of a sudden, birds all around you uh, that that were quiet, start singing again. Wow. The main, the main thing that's going on right now uh, is 
as you said, it's spring, um, and all a lot of the birds have come back from warmer areas, and they're establishing themselves in their their nests, or the males will set up in a tree and say, this tree is my tree. And so it sounds like they're just singing for joy. You know, it's, it's spring, it's beautiful. Um, but really what's going on is they're saying, this is my tree, and you better stay away. And if you are a female of my species, you can come listen to my song. I'm going to defend this tree. We'll build a nest. This tree is mine, mine, mine. So mm. it's really this uh, this sort of bravado, chest-thumping uh, claiming of territory that's that's happening right now. Nate, take us through, if possible, in this beautiful life and respect you have for the planet that you're living on, more so than the rest of us, do you have a moment that you can share with us where the bird or the animal looked back at you and you really felt connected one-on-one? As a surfer, there is a seal that loves to play in the harbor that I surf in or the cove. And I swear, when I paddle out, there may be four other guys in the ocean, but that guy comes looking for me. Maybe I smell a certain way. I look a certain way. I don't know. He has a passion for Jews in the ocean. I don't know why. But he looks at me, and I look back, and he's not scared. I'm not scared. It's a it's an amazing moment that I have. And I look forward to seeing him every Sunday when I go surfing. Do you have a moment where you're in the forest and, and you one-on-one you saw a woodpecker or something that all of a sudden you connected with? Yeah, I, well, I've been, I've, I've seen seals out. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a kayaker. The surfers call us, uh, you know, butt surfers because we don't have to <laughs> able to get up on our feet. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them pop up. You know, they're like they're like puppies almost. But the yeah. but for for the experience that you're talking about, I think even more profound. You know, as a kayaker, we want to be out on these these wild rivers coming down from the mountains, not mm-hmm. not out in the ocean. And so I was up on the on the Klamath River in Northern California, mm-hmm. and you know we're dancing down the 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 rapids. And I pull off into this eddy, and in the eddy, this head pops up, and it's a, it's a river otter. And it, it wow. looks at me in a very similar way, I think. And, and then it jumps off and, and swims into the current and, and catches a wave. And, and actually, you know, they can surf. It's, it's, it's surfing mm-hmm. on this wave, and then it dives underneath, and it pops back up into the eddy and looks at me again. And I... And I <laughs> Uh, so I, you know, I knew the game was afoot, right? I, it was my job. So I, I, <laughs> all I was worth and, and caught the same wave. And, you know, I, w- I couldn't surf quite as well as the otter could, but it was a, this wonderful moment of, of inner species mm. play. Wow. That's fantastic. I grew up on Jamaica Bay uh, where the jets and planes would land at JFK and they literally came over our house and I had a little rowboat. And I used to just go out into the water and fish. And it was a great, a really great place to grow up in terms of natural beauty. And only recently did I learn that the birds that surrounded me in Jamaica Bay, that they tagged some of them and they would fly to Brazil and then come back. I mean, I cannot imagine 
the the distances these birds that I'm hanging around with are traveling. Is the same true for the birds that are in my backyard here in Los Angeles? Some of them, yeah. I mean, the um, the common songbirds that we see, some of them fly up to Alaska and uh, wow. down into Mexico. Some of the the shorebirds around here mm-hmm. fly from from pole to pole. Uh, God. And and we don't we don't really know. We see oh this is you know it, this must be this thing. It's 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 around all the time. It's not right. really worth looking at. There must not be anything too special about these things. But these are the the birds, uh, the creatures that they make nature documentaries about. Wow, you're incredible, Nate. Where did you go to college? I went to um, to Pomona College uh, in just uh, awesome. the east of L.A. Oh, and you and you have a PhD in biology? No, no, I I I have a I'm just a communicator. I have a, I have a master's in journalism, and wow. I um, have just I you know I sort of think of myself as a as a utility player uh, naturalist. So I just pick up every book that I can and spend a lot of time whenever I meet someone who's who is a you know a specialist in trees or. Uh, ants or whatever, I just glom onto them and, and try and make them my friend. And the books you've written so we can learn more about what you're passionate about? So the the book that is closest to this conversation is called Unseen City, which tells the story uh, of my daughter. And, and I try and take 10 different animals, 10 different creatures, I should say, because there's plants as well that are, are so common in cities that we've stopped seeing them. You know, things like pigeons and, and the weeds growing up through the cracks that no matter where you are, you're going to have these things. And I try to make them as, as awe-inspiring as, as walking through, you know, mere woods between the redwoods. And then, Nate, um, amazing. So do you have a website? How could we follow what you're up to? Yeah, uh, my, my website is uh, nathanieljohnson.org. Uh, um, okay. And I have unusual spelling, but the, I think the easiest way is if you if you if you search for Nathaniel Johnson, if you just Google me, um, you know I write regularly for the environmental magazine Grist. I'm on staff there, and I'm on Twitter okay. as Sabertooth. Um, okay. So N A T H A N A E L is is the the Old Testament spelling of, of Nathaniel. Nate. In a world that seems to be crumbling all around us, to be able to rejoice by just opening the window and kind of getting more insight into what the sounds are that we're hearing, you definitely have brightened up many people's mornings going forward. And I want to thank you for joining us today. Really a pleasure. Well, you've you've brightened up mine. Thank you so much. Okay, Nate. We'll be in touch. The great Nate Johnson. Lately, I've been smearing my homemade strawberry jam. Because as we speak, the strawberries in Oxnard are being picked. And you can get off on Lewis Drive, make your way to Las Posas Berry Farm. You will get the greatest strawberries. Buy a whole box of them. I mean, big box, like $20 worth. Take them back to the house. Use a melon ball scooper to remove the stem. Then keep using the melon ball scooper to break up the strawberry. Put into a giant bowl that whole box of strawberries that you just bought. Put a cup of sugar in it. 
and squeeze a half a lemon over it and leave it be for an hour. The sugar and the lemon will draw out of those cut up strawberries the water content. And that water content is what ultimately you're going to boil off. So after an hour, you now have the most delicious smelling bucket of strawberries. Put that bucket of strawberries into a four quart pot between medium and high heat on a wooden spoon. And for a half, for a half an hour, stir the boiling strawberries. And you'll see the stages that it goes through. First, it's this white foam that comes to the top. Keep stirring. Don't stop because otherwise it'll stick to the bottom of the pot. Keep stirring. And then all of a sudden, you'll see that the bubbles are gone. And what you're dealing with is literally molten lava of strawberries bubbling up. Takes about a half an hour. Take it off the heat. Take a mason jar, fill it with hot water because you want the, the glass jar you're going to pour this into not to crack because this stuff is hot. So put hot water in the mason jar and pour it out so the, the glass jar is hot. And you pour this molten strawberry lava into that mason jar. Leave it on the kitchen tabletop for about an hour. Let it cool down and put it in the refrigerator. You've now made for yourself the greatest strawberry jelly homemade that you'll ever have. You put that on a Western bagel with that cream cheese and you can close your eyes because you're going to heaven. It's the greatest thing you can put in your mouth. Western bagel, their cream cheese, and homemade strawberry jam. That's what you need to do while you're in quarantine. All right, Warriors, coming up next, the clinic will be open. I'm going to take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's the great Bill Withers. May he rest in peace. Let's take some calls. The clinic will be open. I had so much fun talking to Nate Johnson, though. Wow. Now let's talk to you guys, the weekend warriors. Let's go to Edwin. Edwin, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hello. Hi, Edwin. It's Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Well, hi, Dr. Clapper. I am a huge fan of yours. I've been listening to your show for many years. You're, you're actually the smartest man I know in medicine on the radio. So, <laughs> Thank you. Trust me, a lot of people pretty much know that about you, so you're well-respected and all that. So I believe Thank you. Uh, if people would go to people like you uh, for questions about this thing, the, the COVID-19, there will be a lot more uh, people educated because uh, uh, medicine is, is, is such a, uh, an incredible field to be studying in, right? And uh, not a lot of people really... Uh, uh, know how to answer these questions uh, instead of going to YouTube. All you have to do is just go to a, a person that that knows mm-hmm. about, about medicine, like yourself. You know, I, I, it's not your expertise. We all know that. But you know, if if anything comes out of, of, of from from you, it will be like uh, you know the next best thing in terms of information, right? So, uh, well, with that, yes, yes, I, I will give you then what ultimately is going to help is when, and they're working on it, and it'll happen, is a vaccine. And that's what ultimately is going to allow us to return to 
the stadium, to return to work, to be amongst other people because people like being around other people. And this is just a giant reset button and timeout. And maybe, you know, not to justify, you can't justify a pandemic, but boy, are you rethinking your life and the, the rat race that we've been in, like those gerbils that just keep running on that circle. This is forcing us all to rethink it all. But this too shall pass. Thanks to great minds and great scientists, they will have a vaccine. I don't know when. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. But we will be able to return to a normalcy. And I can't thank you enough for the kind words, Edwin. Thank you so much for being a weekend warrior and being a fan. Uh, and God bless you. All right, let's take uh, Lee. Are you there, Lee? Yes, I am. How are you doing today? How are you doing? What do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a sound engineer. So sound I, uh, engineer. So you can appreciate the difficulty that I'm having today with sound. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely, man. <laughs> I wish you guys you, through. Uh, I listen to the station all day, every day, so you guys are getting through it. It sounds yes. uh, about 90% where we need to be. Okay, thank you. And where did you grow up? What did your father do for a living? I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, before I moved to really? California, and, and my dad is a still a uh, city bus driver. No way. Would he come home at night and sit at the dinner table and tell you about all the interesting people he met that day, or would he come home and not want to talk about his job? <laughs> he would come home and not want to j- jump right into sports <laughs> and watch his game. <laughs> who was, who but, was his team? Was, who was his but, fan? He's a, he was a big Magic Johnson fan way back in the day. Oh. You know, that's what, that was really, back in the day, it was really like, you know, you see, we, back in the day, you get to see the Pistons play, you get to see the Celtics play the Lakers, and then yeah. you get to see, um, maybe, maybe Houston Rockets or the Bulls every now and then. But yep. it was mostly Lakers, yeah. And how about you? Are you a Laker fan? Uh, I guess he was like a closet Laker fan. Okay. Don't tell me you're a Clipper there, fan. So. I'm going to hang up on you right now. Uh, hold on. I'm, I'm, a closet, I'm a closet Clipper fan too, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, Ma- <laughs> I'm a Maverick fan. I'm a Maverick fan. Uh, I watched. Uh, I was watching the rookie game. Uh, the the rookie game. Uh, I think it was like '97, '98, and I seen uh, Dirk and Whiskey play, and yeah. I seen this uh, awkward looking seven foot dude trying to shoot threes and everything, and mm-hmm. I followed him, and that was my favorite player. So that was my favorite fan. He's amazing. Dirk Nowitzki, what a pleasure and a blessing to be able to watch that guy. And he had the the secret to his success, they say, was his trainer who taught him how to shoot off. Kind of like what Steph Curry does where he shuts the lights off in the stadium and makes like a strobe light. He makes it as distracting as possible, and he trains with half-court shots so that a three-point shot is easier. Well, mm-hmm. Dirk Nowitzki was the first one to do that, to actually strain in shooting so that the regular shot was easier. I love that guy. I agree with you. How can I help you? I've got a few minutes left. Okay. So real quick, it's not on my behalf. Um, it's on my sister's behalf real quick. So she had, um, she's got seizures, uh, Petamol, so not the mm-hmm. full ones, but the Petamol right. ones. So mm-hmm. she had surgery in 2004, uh, brain surgery to correct it. And mm-hmm. like at, towards the end of December, she started having severe severe migraines. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, due to the Covina situation, um, she can't really get an EKG right now or anything. Mm-hmm. All the specialists are took taken away. At least uh, back there in Indiana. So I don't know if it was the actually was it the same situation out here in California? And mm-hmm. um, it is okay. Well, this is what I would tell you. At Cedars, we're blessed 
There is probably the brightest neurosurgeon that you can have, and his name is Keith Black. And what I would tell you is do some homework to help your sister out. Try to call his office on Monday um, Mm -hmm. and see if you can figure out how to get, maybe he's doing virtual like I'm doing appointments with patients. You know, you may be able to get to him and his office, and that might be something that, would be a, a worthy second opinion for your sister. Um, if anybody can figure out what to do next with her, he's the guy. He, if anybody knows anything about how the brain works, it's Keith Black. So that's what I would encourage you to do. You'd be surprised. You know, I'm from New York. Uh, they say that the Missouri's the show me state. You know what New York is? Is the why not state? Why not call him? See if you can get a hold of someone and they can certainly steer you in the right direction. There's a neurologist here in Los Angeles that I think the world of and his name is Stephen Sykes, S-Y-K-E-S. He's another person that I would on Monday give his office a call between Keith Black and Steve Sykes. You'll be doing your sister a favor by at least getting another opinion where someone's thinking maybe outside the box, no offense to Indiana, but why not get an opinion from someone here in Los Angeles who I'm giving the blessings of knowing what they're doing. And that's why I think that the best call I made was to you. That's why I thought that. Uh, well, that's very gracious of you. I appreciate that. And thanks for listening. You listen every Saturday. You know what Clapper Vision is? I definitely do, man. <laughs> you gave me Clapper Vision a couple of years ago when I tore my Achilles after Kobe did, how to repair mine and what to do. Yep. <laughs> Well, it's a pleasure to take care of you, even if it's over the radio. And thanks so much for listening. God bless you. Have a good day. All right, Warriors, I leave you with Volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. And that's what we got to keep on doing. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. Nel